1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, this week, I wanted to answer the question, how much cash do I need to get started in property? When most people say say property, they tend to mean buy-to-let, so I shall certainly start by looking at buy-to-let. However, as you will see in a moment, we shall take a quick look at a couple of other options as well, that may require a little less uh, in upfront cash uh, when compared to buy to let along the way. But let's get right into the discussion now.
0: Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with property chatter.
1: Okay, so how much cash, or in other words, capital, do I need to get going then? Um, well, traditional buy-to-let requires a deposit for a mortgage and some extra funds to cover some of the fees as well. So even if we buy a cheap and cheerful property we probably will need at least £20,000 in capital and that's assuming we're undertaking no refurbishment or improvement works at all. So it might be a little bit tricky we're buying a cheap property with no work required but There we go Um, it can be done maybe put a bit of carpet in liquor paint and turn something around however that might mean investing in a two-bed terrace house in a grim former mining village and that might not be the best investment to make either so nothing against former mining villages it's just that it might not be the best investment location so there's an element of trade-off that's required and that's why raising more than this could be beneficial if we possibly can. Now there are actually two challenges when it comes to traditional property investment through buy to let. The first is raising the starting capital and the second is raising the starting capital for the next one all over again. So buy to let is a highly capital intensive preoccupation that's for sure. However there are some things that we could do to help us to raise that starting capital Um, along the way, but um, some might not be possible um, or even preferable, but here goes. I'm going to mention them anyway. And there's a recurring theme, by the way, that's going to come out, and uh, you might hear me say the phrase delayed gratification or sacrifice once or twice in this list. But here we go. So the first one. Aggressive saving. And when I'm talking about saving, aggressive saving, I don't mean the sort of, you know, vanilla 5 to 10% of earnings that is often the sort of figure that's banded around when we talk about savings. I'm talking about something much more dramatic than, than this. You know, it's, it's more substantial percentages of income. And some people have actually managed to save very substantial amounts, something like 50% of earnings. I think um, in the US, for example, there's a whole community who who do this sort of thing and they they meet up regularly in a very low cost way, as you can imagine, and uh, they share all their ways in which they they save uh, a lot of their earnings. And there's also been this famous uh, blog poster who decided to live frugally for a whole year and save a substantial amount of their earnings too. So if you want to go and look that sort of stuff up, there are things out there, there are resources available that can help give you some ideas. And it goes hand in hand to some extent with the second item that's on my list. And the second item on my list is budget slashing. So as I say, it goes in harmony with saving. And this is a severe uh, review and a severe cut of our spending habits. And uh, it potentially involves going on something of a spending fast for a time that can mean no holidays no meals out no expensive tv subscription no branded products no second car no first car even uh, one of the examples i was thinking about earlier the the lady concerned she she didn't she used a bike and uh, a low cost public transport uh, for a whole year and uh, saved quite a, a lot of money Uh, No new clothes. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, You get the picture. (laughs) And uh, it's called delayed gratification. As I kind of alluded to, you're going to hear a bit about that. Another option. So we talked about saving money. We have talked about uh, saving money by setting money aside. We talked about saving money by slashing our expenditure. But we can also increase our income as well. So we could consider having a second job or a home-based business. And there's uh, things like becoming an eBay or an Amazon seller or doing car boot sales, that kind of thing. I mean, when I was saving up for money in uh, initially, earlier on in my uh, property investing career, I sold off all my CD collection, uh, there was a bunch of other things as well, I managed to do that. I, I had an online eBay business selling security products and I made a little bit of money doing that. Um, there's a couple of different things that I, I did um, to supplement my income. The other thing I did do was I upgraded myself in my uh, in my work. I, I studied I, I, I do an, on personal development uh, programs and I got promoted and so I was able to uh, you know command a, a higher salary and, and bigger bonuses because I put myself in that position. So you know you can look at this in a number of different ways. Uh, you don't necessarily just have to go and get three jobs and, and work 24/7. there are other ways of achieving this. The, um, another one is, I've kind of alluded to it a little bit, you can liquidate assets. Um, I, I kind of talked about my own personal situation where I um, I sold off my entire CD collection. That was kind of heartbreaking, I have to say. Uh, I had hundreds uh, of CDs. Um, I managed to uh, to copy them all uh, beforehand, and this was you know before the days of Spotify. I hasten to add. But um, yeah, people would pay me. Uh, for, I think it was five uh, three to five pounds per CD. I think maybe I got a little bit more for some than others, but uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, I sold off. Uh, sold Off my CD collection uh, to help to raise some money. So, but it's enough to be CD collection. Thinking you could have some old watches, you could have some art, antiques, record collections, as I mentioned, and so on. So you might have some things lying around. It's surprising actually. Just go and look in the loft, go and look in the garage. They're probably full to bursting. And if nothing else, you should probably have a clear out anyway. And you'd be amazed (laughs) at what people would buy in a car boot sale. I'll just leave it at that. I've done a couple of car boot sales and I've sold a load of tat for some money. Um, Not the most enjoyable experience in the world, but I did it, cleared the decks, cleared the loft as well while I did it, while I was at it, but uh, raised a bit of money that way. Another idea is uh, equity release. So really I'm talking about accessing equity that we might have in our own home. Uh, That could be by refinancing, could be by downsizing, or it could even be by switching to rented accommodation for a time. Yes, another short-term sacrifice. And, uh, and finally, in this sort of uh, this sort of list, if you like, I wanted to talk about additional borrowing. So I'm not talking about being reckless, but we could maybe raise some money by borrowing through uh, unsecured lending, uh, friends and family, or other joint venture structures and that kind of thing. So um, as a watchword, there obviously you know you've got to be careful when you're getting involved in property because if you borrowed every single penny and then you go into a project and you're kind of almost 100% leveraged. There's a lot of risk associated with that, so you better know what your exit is. You better know that you can clear yourself out of uh, any potential trouble before you do that. And it's definitely not financial advice I'm giving. I hasten to add. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I didn't say it was going to be easy. Now, did I? <laughs> but um, I do remember this actually. I think uh, I'm not sure she said it on the TV program, but Kirsty Allsop from Location, Location, Location. I think it was actually in a newspaper interview when. Uh, People were asking her about how hard it is these days for people to save up for a deposit. This was a few years ago now, and I know it's got worse, but she said it's never been easy. It's never been easy to save up for a deposit to buy your own home. And it's equally, it's not easy to save up for a deposit on an investment property, which actually is even more substantial than buy a a deposit on your own home. It is a discipline. And it will involve elements of, yes, these words, sacrifice and delayed gratification, as I keep mentioning. So if we want something for the future, we have to give up something in the, in the present. That's the principle of delayed gratification. And by the way, it's also a success principle. So, um, yep, it's going to take a little bit of pain in the short term, but it'll be worth it in the long term. So next, I just wanted to talk about some non, you know, traditional property strategies. So we'll be talking a little bit about buy to let and, you know, chunks of money we might need as a deposit for a buy to let mortgage. Uh, I haven't even mentioned buying cash, but that's going to need more money um, to enable us to get going and property with less capital. But be warned, some of the ideas I'm about to share uh, are more like a job. Or a business in their own right, so they may not be suitable for everybody. So I can't, I can't make everything work for everybody all of the time. You get the picture. So, but if you've, if you found a pound down the back of your sofa, then how about a lease option? Yes, you could get involved in a lease option transaction for as little as one pound. So um, you need to go and find someone who'll agree to uh, let you sign up the option to take over that property and pay them in the future. Uh, with the with a £1 option fee, there has to be some money that changes hands and that's why it's a pound. Um, so yes, there's a bit of work to be done, but it can be done. Or if you've got a little bit more money tucked down the back of that sofa, perhaps a month's equivalent in rent, depending on where you live, that obviously is a different sum of money, uh, you could consider what's called rent-to-rent, a rent-to-rent strategy. So typically what you need to get involved in rent-to-rent is maybe a, a deposit Uh, or a first month's rent or combination, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like taking on a rented property, but in this case, obviously, what you're doing is you're looking to rent it out or sublet it out to make a margin between what you pay to the owner and what you recover in instead. So rent to rent, as I mentioned, might not be your cup of tea, might not be what you want to do, uh, but it's, it's an option. So we've talked about, you know, some strategies where you need less money, let's say, to get in with a £1 lease option or a month's rent, rent to rent strategy. How about giving up some of your, your, your space and privacy at home? That's also possible. So um, how about uh, renting out a spare bedroom um, under the rent-a-room scheme? So by the way, it's tax-free. Uh, or a parking space or even a garage at home? Um, I've done elements of this, rented a spare room and and a garage, not done the parking space idea, but I can see how that could work as well. But I've done that from time to time, as needs must. Or you know, um, if I, I, I just a quick aside on the garage uh, rental. I um, I have a property with a separate garage, and I, I was storing some of my own uh, stuff for, for rental properties in the garage because I just needed somewhere to store some stuff. So I rented the property, but without the garage, and it was in a separate block. So you know, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't attached to the house. But the um, the tenants they. They knew I had a garage, don't know who told them, it wasn't me, but uh, they knew I had a garage and, you know, they were thinking of moving on because they needed more space. But uh, they learned I had a garage and uh, I think probably the agent had something to do with it. And uh, they mentioned that I, I had a garage and perhaps they could rent it off me. Anyway, after, uh, actually this is the second, re- what's the th- I think it's the third renewal with this particular tenant. They asked me last year the question. I said, no, nah, I can't really do this. I've got, you know, I'm using the garage. But they asked me again this year and they were, sent me serious about moving on and I thought, well, okay, let's see what I can do. So <laughs> it was actually a bit of a hassle for me because I, I filled the garage up and a bit like the, you know, everyone's garage is full, but maybe it's not full of useful stuff. So I had a little think and I thought, well, I could probably clear half the garage. How about renting half the garage space? So there's a few complications with that, you know, security or one another's products and that kind of thing. One another's, yeah, one another's possessions rather, that kind of thing. So Long story short, I've agreed to rent them half the garage space. So I've actually upped the rent uh, on the property as a result of that. But it means I've got to go and clear half the garage out as a result. So hey, never mind. Uh, So we've talked about giving up some money. We've talked about giving up some of your privacy and space at home. But how about giving up some of your time? So perhaps the other option is to give up some of your time and actually exchange your time for money in some way. So you could potentially look at deal sourcing. So in addition to maybe finding good deals for yourself, you could potentially also find good deals for other property investors and sell them on. Um, or indeed, there could be other landlord or investor services that you could undertake if you've got the skill set and the inclination to do so. Some examples are project management and lettings management. There's possibly one or two other ones as well. But um, I know of a few people who double up, if you like, and, and make have multiple income streams from property. And they use the extra income stream to sort you know fund their own deposits. so yep so there we go give up some money uh, I'm sorry less money from a couple of strategies uh, less privacy by giving up some space space at home and less time uh, to, to maybe uh, offer some services to landlords and investors. Um, but yes it's giving something up again but there we go running theme I know. But finally for today, I uh, I wanted to talk about another approach and uh, and that's to make what we do go further once we get started. So obviously we've got this sort of um, inertia, haven't we? We've got to get from zero to having enough money for our first investment. And a lot of what I've spoken about so far is getting us into that place. Uh, But I did also talk about the second challenge is once we've got our first investment, the next challenge is to do it all over again. Because uh, once we've saved up this deposit, it could be 20, 30, 40, fifty thousand pounds, you know, it could be a sizable amount of money, then we've run out of funds again. And we have to go all over again and start saving and start delayed gratification and all that good stuff. So another way is to um, is to make what we, we do go further. And here's a couple of ways of potentially doing that. So the first one is is maybe higher yielding strategies. So on a vanilla, you know, uh, buy-to-let, we might be, you know, if we're just an average property investor, we might be getting something like six, eight percent return on investment if we're doing well, such so return on our, on our own cash. But if we could consider alternative strategies such as HMOs or holiday lets, for example, yes, they come with their complexity. Maybe they come with extra costs to get involved in the in the deal as well. But once they do, if they operated well, they can actually produce higher returns. The keyword being can. So, you know, you need to be educated, you need to be smart about how you go about these things. You might even need a bit more money to get going in the first place, but it might be worth it too. So high yielding strategies is the first one. The, um, the second one maybe to consider is trading, property trading. And the idea here is to grow the snowball, another Warren Buffett uh, favorite. I think that's the name of his uh, autobiography, isn't it? Growing the snowball. Uh, man who started with nothing is a billionaire. Wow. Uh, anyway, I digress. Then <laughs> um, here the idea is to buy and sell and make our profit and plow it into the next deal uh, before we even start looking at buy to let and holding assets. So we're talking about recycling our money, making it go further, taking the profit, putting it into the next deal. The idea here, when I, when I talk to people about this, is um, if you think about trading, you buy one, you do it up, you sell it on, you take your profit. You buy another one, you do it up, you sell it on, you make your profit. The idea here is to be able to do more than one transaction at the same time. So um, you know, increase your deal velocity is what I call it. So the aim here is to try and get to a position where we can maybe do two projects at once. Maybe even three eventually. So if you can imagine the compound effect of running one, two or three projects all at the same time, and even if you're making fairly modest profits, you know, 10, 15,000 pounds ago, um, putting it into the next deal, putting it into the next deal and growing the snowball. It's quite an effective strategy. And by the way, if you want to look at—it's uh, a bit of an aside and a plug—I'm afraid to say—but if you wanted to look at potential uh, ways of uh, finding those sorts of properties, uh, we have something called a deal tip service, which uh, churn out those sorts of opportunities quite regularly. So the whole buy and sell, make a, a modest sort of profit, and uh, and go again. Um, and I'll come—I come and I'll come the next one actually is a variation on that. So it's value adding strategies where we're looking to release equity in order to reinvest. So instead of trading and sell, you know, bagging our profit and going again, in this situation what we're looking to do is refinance. Maybe we'll release some, not necessarily all, of our profit in this example. Uh, and, and the buy, refurbish, refinance model is a good example of this. It's actually one of my favourites as well. But here we buy a property, we add some value in some way, do a refurbishment, add an extension, add a conservatory, that kind of thing and we, we then release some of the extra funds, or sorry, extra value that we've created in that property by refinancing it and then go again. So it's not as, as rapid as growing the um, as trading sorry, in terms of getting releasing the money usually with uh, a buy refurbish refinancing uh, strategy but it allows us to um, have assets growing along the way. So rather than trading where it's literally all delayed and then one day we're going to buy a block of flats or something We've uh, buy, refurbish, refine, uh, refinance. We're looking to add ones and twos along the way. And there actually is a sort of twist on this. Do you remember I was saying earlier about trading and trying to get to do more than one deal at a time? Well, if you can imagine a scenario where it's more or less you trade two and you keep one, that just think about that. So you can mix and match a little bit here as well. But perhaps I'm digressing a little bit too far from what I wanted to say. Um, Another idea is to buddy up. So you might have 10, 15,000 and you know your, your brother or sister or somebody you know and trust might have a similar uh, sort of money. So you could potentially buddy up with them, work in partnership uh, and make your pot go further. But of course, in addition to making the pot go further, you, the returns will also need to be shared around and go further as well. So keep that in mind. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that if you're going to have a long term partnership to so have its buy to let, you are to buy a property together. That's a long term investment. It's a long term partnership arrangement. So just be careful about who you're going into in that situation, because even the best of friends and the best of family can fall out. Uh, by the way, just a sub, sub uh, point there, have an agreement drawn up. Yeah, it's just just if you're going to get any form of partnership, even if it's your best friend, even if it's with your mum, have a have a partnership agreement drawn up. is just wise. And there's been a number of fallouts that uh, pe- people have been through and uh, they would have said, I wish I'd have written it down because, you know, things change, unfortunately. Anyway, so the, the last one in this section I wanted to talk about is joint ventures. Well, it's a little bit like buddying up. It's a bit of a variation on buddying up. But uh, here we're looking to borrow the funds from a, a, J, a JV finance partner. Now that could be someone we do know, friends and family, as I've kind of been mentioning with the budding up. But it could also be from someone we don't know as well. Uh, somebody who does this for a living. The, there are people out there who just want to get a return on their money and just become a financing partner. So yep, you can find those sort of people. You can agree to pay them a fixed rate of return or a profit sharing arrangement. Uh, normally it's on a project-by-project project basis rather than a long-term partnership basis. Sometimes they can be longer, but typically it's project-by-project, project, in and out, so you need a clear exit strategy. It doesn't always lend itself to buy-to-let unless it's buy-refurbish-refinance and you've got enough money coming out of the refinance to pay the JV partner back. So it kind of works well on, on flips or property trading can work well on higher, you know, value-adding strategies, maybe conversions or, you know, converting into HMO, that kind of thing. So where there's more profit opportunity, in other words, then you can afford to pay them back out. And hopefully if it's all gone well, they'll give you the money again and you can go again. And I just, you know, when I was going through this list, I kind of had to reflect a little bit on my own situation. And um, (laughs) as I was writing it out and thinking about it, I sat stuck for four years uh, it was a period of four years wanting to get going again in property. I bought my first investment property in the mid-90s, if you know my story. But then it was in the in the sort of early uh, thousands, what they call them, the um, millennials. I can't remember what they call them. Anyway, early, early 2000s that I really wanted to go again in property. I had the bug and I wanted to get going. But I didn't have the funds available to do so at the time, going through some personal challenges. I was getting divorced, and all that sort of stuff, which I won't go into. But, you know, it was kind of tough. Um, but uh, then I realized I could work with others and also adopt a value adding strategy to get started sooner. And believe it or not, this didn't really dawn on me before. Don't know why. Well, I, just, I was just ignorant, I was not aware, and there wasn't so much information available, certainly not in the quality that it's available now. So, cut a long story short, uh, I had around about £10,000 I'd managed to uh, snaffle away from a bonus re- I'd uh, received even at work. So I had my ten thousand pounds. I combined this with a fifty thousand uh, pounds bridging finance loan to buy a property, um, and also fifty thousand pounds from a JV partner who agreed to effectively, you know, stump me up for part of the the money to buy the property and a part of the works cost. And indeed, something I, I can't really, I haven't really come across too many times, a very rare twenty-five thousand pounds contractor loan to fund some of the works as well. So the contractor actually agreed to lend me the cost of the works that they were going to undertake, which is very nice of them. They charged interest for doing so, but there we go. It meant they also got the job, of course, so that was interesting to them. So I had £10,000, which was around about seven, sorry, seven percent of the total funds required. Uh, And that meant I was able to get going on a refurb, refurbishment and upgrade project with with just £10,000 of my own money much less than I would have needed to have funded that otherwise. I would have needed, oh, I can't even think now, I would have needed probably about £80,000, something like that, instead of a 10000 in cash. I was probably still going for the bridging finance, but I would have needed all of the extra funds in cash. So about 85000 actually from quick maths. Then um, I was able to refinance after I completed the project because uh, I'd increased the valuation uh, as, a, as a result of the work I'd done. I was able to release funds to repay everybody and then go again. But it's, um, it's not easy and in fact um, in that particular case I left my 10,000 invested in that property. Um, I was able to pay everybody else off uh, and I left my money invested in the property. So I still had to start with the funding process all over again, which is kind of that second problem I've alluded to. But if I had have bought that same property ready made, you know, so in other words, it was in the done up condition, ready to rent out all nice and, you know, tidy and, and, and done up um, uh, using a buy mortgage, I would have needed around about £50,000 of my own cash to do that. And of course, as you can tell, I simply didn't have it at the time. Um, i could have also sold that property and uh, plowed the profit because you know i left profit as well as my ten thousand um, pounds in in equity in in the in the property so i could have sold the property and released that equity along with my ten thousand pounds and um, and that would allow me to perhaps put a bit more money into the into the next pro- uh, project and and in, i guess in hindsight possibly i should have done that um, but, you know, I was quite happy to have uh, leave my 10,000 in and have a very high return on uh, investment asset, which has been achieving some capital growth along the way as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, no regrets, but perhaps I could have been a little bit smarter and, and done the trading and, and maybe by holding one a little bit later on when I had a bit more funds together. So, you know, I think I bought three properties in my first year once it got going, but probably could have done more um, if I would to followed that approach. It was, however, the start of my property journey in earnest and uh, as you can probably tell, I've made some great strides since uh, since that particular deal, I'm happy to say. So the the conclusion here is that finding a way to get started sooner rather than later is the key takeaway. Um, Look for a way to get going sooner rather than later. After all, Warren Buffett says it's the time in the market, not timing the market, that counts. Uh, before I go though, today, uh, and as a quick reminder, I have previously recorded something of a mini-series on the subject of um, if, uh, if you want to know what your what your strategy options are based on a given level of starting capital fund. So the, the key question here was how much money do I need? So it's like an open-ended question, how much money do I need? If you kind of know how much money you, you've got or you can get your hands on in a certain period of time, there's probably an episode that suits you. So I think I've got one for people with less than 10,000 pounds, people with, say, 20 to 50,000 pounds, people with between eighty and 150,000 pounds I know there's a gap there uh, and people with, I think, um, 150 to 250,000 pounds, that kind of order. No point going much bigger than that because you probably don't have too much of a problem uh, if you've got more than two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. But um, you know you still want to invest it wisely if you do. So there's probably something out there, and, and maybe you want to listen to one or two which are kind of relevant to the amount of money that you think you can get hold of, and it'll tell you what kind of strategy options you have available to you. So maybe check those out, and I'll put some links in the show notes so you can you can look them up as well. But otherwise, that's, that's it for me this week. Um, you, remember that you can always email, as always, podcast at propertyvoice.net if you want to talk about anything from today's show or anything else more generally in property investing. And of course, the show notes will be over at the, the website, thepropertyvoice.net. So make sure you go and check those out as well. But for now, all I want to say once again is thank you very much for listening uh, this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao.